And it's like, okay, as we add kids and life gets more complex, if all of these obligations and expectations from the extended family continue, what if I don't agree? What if I don't like them? And what if this isn't my family? Because you would always say, this is my family. And this was one of the great tensions in our marriage. And I would always say, I'm your family. I'm your family. When the Bible says, leave your mother and father, it means that you were part of a family and you leave that family to go start a new family. And if you don't do that, all you'll end up with is one big dysfunctional, messed up, hurting family, rather than a bunch of connected, but independent, autonomous, healthy families. Howdy, Mark and Grace Driscoll Welcome back to The Real Marriage Podcast. We are doing a little overview of the Old Testament book of Ruth. Great Cinderella love story, the Old Testament. And this episode, we want to talk about in-laws, outlaws, crazy family. (laughs) Have you ever met anyone? We need to be careful that we don't talk a lot about relatives on this episode. And my relatives are crazy. All right, (laughs) so I'll tell you what. We'll just go there. We got nothing else to do. So we are the O'Driscolls from County Cork, Southern Ireland. And uh, we had a uh, bunch of castles. We were ruling, reigning, which uh, sounds pretty good to me. Then there was a political governance change. We were dispossessed, lost everything. So to make ends meet, my extended family, the O'Driscolls, had a family meeting and decided that we were going to become pirates. I don't... Aren't you alcohol pirate? Well, yeah, we're going to get there. I don't know. It's a weird family meeting when it's like, okay, guys, we got to figure out a new family business. <laughs> so, you know, go get eye patches and, you know, parrots and, and a boat. And so we became pirates on the Baltimore Harbor in Ireland, Southern Ireland. Was and it during the potato famine? It was right before the potato famine. We, we, we came, well, it was some generations before the potato famine. There's one international incident that my family, extended family, is famous for. I went there with my dad, and we did some of the historical investigation in Ireland. The O'Driscolls went out, seized a ship in the Baltimore Harbor that was transporting, I think, wine and maybe other alcohol. We seized it. We touched off an international incident for being alcohol pirates. It caused uh, the foreign government that we stole the alcohol from to come and enslave a bunch of Irishmen in response and retribution. So, awesome. So I'm doing great. I mean, the moral I wish story- I had known that before I married you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, our, <laughs> our family history is a bit colorful. I mean, so literally... There's there's two kind of pirates. There's pirates and there's alcohol pirates. I mean, <laughs> as if pirates probably don't drink too much to begin yeah. with. If what you are is seizing ships filled with alcohol, you're probably not going to have a sober, spirit-filled, mm. you know, real moral family. So the potato famine hit. My family ended up in New York on a coffin ship, then ended up in the Midwest as red potato farmers. I was born on the family homestead with a red potato farm. Generations of alcoholism, generations of abuse, generations of pain. Um, My mom and dad left Grand Forks, North Dakota, where where I was from, Red River Valley, uh, to get away from some of the extended family. Some of the extended family was great, but some completely generations of devastation, Mm. alcohol, abuse, Violence, um, tragedy. Yeah. All that to say, 
some of you who are listening to this, or maybe maybe I'll say this, one of you who are listening to this comes from an amazing Christian family. <laughs> <laughs> For the rest of us, the family history is complicated, painful, difficult, um, mental health, addiction, divorce, abuse, <clears throat> betrayal, treachery, demonism. Mm-hmm. That's the family that Ruth comes from. Yeah. So maybe catch him up to speed on kind of Ruth's family, her extended family, her history, kind of where she starts her journey with Jesus. Yeah. I mean, she was a Moabite, which the Moab came from incest. And so Lot's with Lot daughters and got daughter. their dad drunk and yeah. he got them pregnant. So you already have a root of sexual immorality to say the least. And she came out of that culture. They worshiped demon gods. Um, and it would have been a very vile place to be, which would have been normal to her. Um, and so she... It's a sexual perverted cult Yeah, is what the whole nation was and she was born into. Yeah. And as a kid, you think that your family is normal because that's all you know. Yeah. And if the whole nation is just a kind of a, a pedophile cult, which is basically what the Moabites were, and you grow up in that as a child, that seems normal to you. Until you go into a place that's different and realize that's not God's intention. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she came out of that and and went into a place in Bethlehem that was a place where God's people lived. And so to face that distinction would have been probably a shock, but something that she appreciated over her past um, but yeah, that was her history that she had on her kind of resume. Well, and, and in the story, so there's Naomi and Elimelech. They move with their sons, Malon and Kilion. They are supposed to be all believers to Moab. Uh, Elimelech dies. So now Naomi's a widow. The two sons, Malon and Kilion, weirdly enough, their names mean sick and dying. I don't know why you name your kids that. Um, they die. Now you've got three widows. Ruth decides, I'm going back to my family, God's people, because there's hope, help, and healing there. It's not a bad, it's the, it, it is a good place to go. Orpah decides, I'm going back to my old family. I'm going to go back and just live like everybody else lives. She doesn't make a break family line. And I like to say that a, a family is like a chain. Some people are the first link in the chain. You're the first believer. Yeah. And that means you've got to break, cut ties with the past and previous generations. Um, some people are the weak link in the chain. And if they don't shore up their relationship with Jesus, that line of faith in their family is going to be broken. Ruth decides she's going to be the first link in the chain. She'll be the first believer in her family. She's breaking her family ties with the past. She is leaving her mother and father. She's leaving her nation and religion to go with God's people in God's presence. And in that, uh, she has to leave behind her sister-in-law. She has to leave behind her mom and dad. She has to leave behind, let's assume, we don't know, it doesn't specifically say, but odds are she's got brothers and sisters. She's probably got a large extended family. They've been there for generations. And she has to cut ties. And we never again see, once she moves to Bethlehem and she decides to walk with God and to be a believer and to have a Christian family, and marriage, to use that language, no more contact. She doesn't go back. 
She doesn't uh, invite her extended family to speak into her marriage or participate. There's a clean, hard line drawn. This doesn't need to always happen. But let's just talk about how even in their story, we look at their amazing marriage, but look at all the family members that they had complex relationships that they needed to navigate. What did they need to do with her unbelieving family, the unbelieving former sister-in-law? What do you do with Naomi, who's the bitter believer? When you do show up in town, uh, how do you deal with Mr. What's-His-Face in chapter four that had the legal rights to marry Ruth but decided not to? Uh, they have all of these complex family dynamics. To set the stage, Sweetie Pie, how important is it that as a married couple, you agree on how you're going to deal specifically with each individual extended family member? It's important, and we don't always know going into marriage how family members are going to respond until we're in a crisis situation. Sometimes we can be proactive and create healthy boundaries. It doesn't, the boundaries aren't a negative thing. They're a healthy thing for us to have in our relationships. And so if you can be proactive and, and set some of those boundaries ahead of time with people, especially if you know that they, maybe they are manipulative or maybe they're um, busybodies or gossipers. Um, maybe they're abusive. Maybe they're unbelievers and you want to minister to them, but you need to have boundaries um, about what type of relationship to have with them. Um, all these things are things we need to consider because if we don't ever talk about it or address it or even consider um, those relationships, then they will cause us problems, period. So within that, sometimes you, when you're marrying into a family, there's a lot of secrets that you don't find out for a while. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you think, well, oh, we can trust them. We love them. We know them. You're like, oh boy, that no, 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 no. They're, they're sexually dysfunctional. The kids are not going to go play at their house. We're not, you can't do overnights at aunt and uncle's house. Mm -hmm. We just learned some stuff about aunt and uncle that we're not going to tell you about, but no, 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 no. That's not right. a safe environment. In some families, it's, you know, grandpa is a pervert and has molested kids in the family and the whole family's covered up the secret. <clears throat> that would have been the kind of family that Ruth grew up in, in Moab. Mm -hmm. Lot of dirtiness, lot of family secrets. Everybody keeps the family secrets. Sometimes you have certain lines that are drawn with certain family members. And then the more you get to know them and you get to know who they really are, you've got to redraw those lines. Yeah. Sometimes it's even just negative or critical person um, especially when you have kids, you don't want them around that constantly. I mean, during holidays or once in a while, obviously there's circumstances that you can permit if you choose to. But in marriage, you know, we want to be able to build each other up as husband and wife. And with kids, we want to be able to do the same. And so what we're pouring into each other and into any kids that we might have, um, we need to consider. We're, we can't overprotect. We can't um, guard them from every situation that comes, but we do need to be on guard and aware and listening to the spirit when there's a caution and be willing to create a boundary if God is cautioning us to do so. And in the story of Ruth and Boaz, they have a lot of complex extended family relationships and each one needs to be navigated. Mm -hmm. You know, what do we do with her family? What do we do with Naomi, the bitter mother-in-law? Because now Ruth is not 
technically obligated. This isn't her mother. This was her husband's mother, and her husband died. Mm -hmm. But she is a believer, and she does love her. I mean, some of the people who are listening to this, they've got complex variables with extended family members, especially if it's a second marriage. Mm, Yeah. Because now you've got relationships from the first marriage and relationships from the second marriage. That's the story that's going on with Ruth and Boaz. Boaz is the second husband. Mm -hmm. Ruth is, for him, the first wife. And so... So in this, uh, we'll give you guys a big principle that's really important. So when you and I first got married, and I don't want to speak ill of any of our extended family. Your dad's gone home to be with the Lord. I love your mom. I love my folks. You love them. We're not seeking to be negative. But one constant conflict that we had in the early years of our marriage was where to draw the lines and the boundaries, um, the holidays, the relationships, the information and disclosure with extended family members. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Um, that was a very hard place. I I mean, these are things I've talked to my mom about. And sometimes in families, um, there's unhealthy boundaries and they you bring those unhealthy boundaries that they have into the marriage. And so I had some unhealthy boundaries with my family and and didn't adjust those going into marriage. And so it was like you were just added to the family instead of you and I having our own family as we got married. Um, we were creating a new legacy. We, you know, of course had things that were great from our family that we could take with us. Um, but, you know, we all grow and learn as we realize what we um, need to add to and take away from our own relationship as a husband and wife. And so for me, I, I struggled with that because I was a people pleaser. I wanted to make everybody happy instead of honoring, you know, what you needed as a husband, I didn't want to cut off or create some boundaries with friends and family that need, that quite frankly were healthy, but I didn't see them as healthy at the time. And so as, as God opened my eyes to some ways that I was still dependent or not leaving and cleaving as we're told to do, um, that was my issue that I needed to work through. Um, and so, yeah, we had a lot of disagreements on that, um, because there was an expectation for me and some of the family that, you know, you were going to come into this role in our family instead of you and I having the freedoms to, to create the family God wanted us to create. So I was the firstborn in my family. I'm very independent very self-sufficient. I lied about my age at 15, falsified my birth certificate, got a job as a clerk at a 7-Eleven down the street from a strip club in a rough neighborhood. I bought a car at 15 before I had a driver's license, and I would drive myself in my car to my job at 15. Mm -hmm. Very independent. I'm going to make my own money. I'm going to figure my own thing out. I'm going to take care of myself. As soon as I turned 18, boom, gone, moved out of my parents' house, never came back. It's like, hey, there's no need to keep a room open for me. And you weren't saved. And I wasn't saved. Mm -hmm. For you, youngest of three daughters, last born, different personality. For you, you saw your sisters leave home and you're the last one left. And so you grew up with a sense of family that now is in transition. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do is, as you hear this, your story is different than ours, but you bring family dynamics into your marriage. Yeah. And the dynamics of the extended family, they impact and affect your marriage. Well, we bring family dynamics, but we bring family expectations, which is where the problem comes in. Talk about that. (laughs) Well, there are certain expectations from every family that come in as 
you need to play this role. You need to do these things. You need to be at these things. Um, This drove me, okay, I start crazy. This made me (laughs) double crazy because it would be like, Hey, we got two weeks vacation. Great. Our whole family is going on vacation together. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. I didn't agree to go on vacation with everybody. <laughs> no, no, that's what my family does. Uh, then it was uh, everybody has to get together all the time on the day of somebody's birthday, which means if it's my birthday, I don't get to choose who it's with. If it's your birthday, I can't just take you. If it's one of our kids, I got to put them in the car. And, and to me... I feel like I'm living in a, a wall, a walled universe where the walls are closing in. And it's like, okay, as we add kids and life gets more complex, if all of these obligations and expectations from the extended family continue, what if I don't agree? What if I don't like them? And what if this isn't my family? Because you would always say, this is my family. And this was one of the great tensions in our marriage. And I would always say, I'm your family. I'm your family. When the Bible says, leave your mother and father, it means that you were part of a family and you leave that family to go start a new family. Okay. And if you don't do that, all you'll end up with is one big dysfunctional, messed up, hurting family rather than a bunch of connected, but independent, autonomous, healthy families. Yeah. You need to start with the leave and cleave and create your family and then invite as you choose, invite whatever extended family members into that new family that you're creating when and if you desire to do that instead of, you know, you're just a part of the family that I grew up in. That's not a healthy way. I wasn't joining your family. And you weren't, yeah. And you weren't joining joining my family. Mm -hmm. You and I were starting a new family. Yes. And this is a crucial biblical concept that if you don't practice, it is going to be very, very painful. And your extended family may not agree with you. They may, they may feel hurt or rejected. Uh, I actually dealt with a couple recently. They got three little kids, <clears throat> and the extended family has a lot of expectations on their marriage and family. Uh, even the mother and father expect when they come to town once a month to stay in the house with their daughter and now son-in-law and three kids for three, four, five days, just whatever works for them, whatever they want. And the husband's like, I just can't have your mom and dad moving in once a month for as many days as works for them and eating at our dinner table and having breakfast with us and helping tuck the kids in bed. Like, this is my family. This is my home. I need my schedule. I need my life. And literally the mother told the daughter, um, I just can't believe that you've rejected your family. Hmm. So she sees the launching of the children as the rejecting of the family. And so let's look at this from the other side. Now we have a daughter who's married Mm -hmm. and uh, they're doing great and we love them. We're super proud of them. But now we're in the position where we could be the problem. Right. And we have tried at every turn to bless them in their new life and stepped back and said, we are available to you for love, wise counsel, encouragement, correction, whatever you invite us into, but we will not put ourselves in that place unless we're invited. And so we've worked hard to set that up in a healthy way so that we're not intruding, but that if we're invited, we're available. We want to be available to our adult 
kids, especially when they're married, but we are not going to um, be an extension of their family unless they ask us to come in. And a lot of times, I'll just say something very brutal, but insightful. If your marriage sucks and your kids leave, you try to continue one big family rather than fixing your marriage. Mm -hmm. And that's where if the kids are the gravitational center of the universe holding the marriage together and or the grandkids become the gravitational center of the universe holding the marriage together, you have a dysfunctional, ungodly family system, even if you raise your hands in church every Sunday. Because the center of the family system needs to be Jesus and then the husband and the wife and then the children. And then when the children get married and move out and start their family, now it's a different universe and they have their marriage and their kids that orbit around Jesus. And then the goal is that we would negotiate, we would dialogue those places that we intersect. What do we do for the holidays? What do we do for birthdays? But that would be the mutual agreement of multiple families. Yeah. Not those who are oldest setting all the expectations and demands for all the children and grandchildren. And so for us, it's practical things like uh, our, let's say our daughter and our son-in-law, who we love and are really grateful for, they're always welcome at our house unannounced, but I will never show up at their house unannounced. Unless they invite me, I'm not coming to their house. I'm not going to just knock on the door. I don't have a key to their house. I think our daughter still has a key to our house. Yeah. <laughs> she does. Um, things like uh, when I give you money, that's your money and you can spend it however you want. It's not my money. There's no strings or controls attached. If I give you money, there is no repayment. I only give by grace and gifts. And there is no obligations and complicated financial dealings within family members. When we go on vacation, I will pay for you to go. And you don't have to. If you want to come, you can come. If you don't want to come, you don't have to come. If you want to come for part, that's fine. I don't care. Everything's open-handed. Um, no expectation, but the door is wide open. We do dinner at our house on Sunday nights. All the kids are welcome to come. Bring their significant others. Your mom comes. Love it. It's my favorite time of the week. But it's not a demand. If you don't want to come, don't come. If you want to come once a month, come once a month. I mean, if you never want to come, then tell me what I did wrong so we yeah. can fix this relationship. Right. But I think um, ultimately the, the parents and the grandparents need to be very open-handed and they need to give permission to their children and grandchildren to have their own families and to do things their own way. And so for those of you who are older, if your marriage sucks, don't make your kids' marriage suck. Okay? I know it's strong, but that's my spiritual gift. And if you don't love your spouse and love being with your spouse and making memories and going out to dinner and vacation with your spouse, and so you keep trying to get all of your kids to come back home and pretend like you're one little family, you need to fix your marriage. Because for me, we're getting to the age now where we still, we, we have some nights and some days where... Our house is empty. We're sort of interning for empty nest. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're very quickly going to go from five kids to two kids at home, and they're both in high school. And when they both get driver's licenses, we're going to be home alone a lot and <laughs> going out to dinner a lot. And honestly, I loved when the kids were little. They were amazingly wonderful, enjoyable years. And the teen years, honestly, are incredible, and I really love them. And now that they're getting into their 20s, it's awesome. Every season is awesome in a different way. But honey, I am so glad that I like being with you. Mm -hmm. That should be the goal of your marriage is to still like each other, even if there's kids that you raised in between. And I like going on vacation with you and I like going out to dinner with you and mm -hmm. I like um, making memories with you. You're mm -hmm. my favorite person. 
And if you don't deal with the extended family dynamics, you don't have the time early in the marriage to really build a healthy, warm, loving friendship. You don't get to create an independent family that has its own rules and boundaries and traditions and holidays. And then your your so then your your extended family has screwed up marriages and families. They screw up your marriage and family, and then your kids get older and start to launch, and then you screw up their marriage and families. And the Bible calls this a curse. Mm-hmm. A curse is something that comes on a family for generations. Back to the story of Ruth and Boaz. Her family was cursed for generations. It was a messed up disaster for generations. Once she meets Boaz, they start a brand new family. They don't move back to Moab <laughs> to be with her family. They don't practice all the holidays with and as the Moabites. They don't have the kids dual identity, part believer, part Moabite. <laughs> they make a clean break. They decide in the sight of God what they're going to be as a marriage and family. They architect it in agreement accordingly, and God 100% radically blesses it with one of the most amazing families in the history of the world. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. And something in Ruth's soul was able to say, I'm going to look up to God the Father. I'm not going to look back to my earthly father. I'm not going to disown, disregard, or dishonor my earthly father, but I'm going to look to my heavenly father and figure out if I can find a better way to do marriage and family. Mm. And so for those of you that have these complex issues, let me close with this, uh, extended family. So honey, for the women, who is the best person to deal with the complicated extended family relationships on her side of the family? She is. Okay, explain that. Well, it's already a sensitive issue to deal with in marriage. And if you don't deal with your own family, then the family will take up offense and blame the spouse for dealing with, you know, your family. Um, Instead of saying, okay, we're willing to listen, we're willing to honor your boundaries, she knows the ins and outs of her own family. And so she needs to navigate that um, prayerfully and courageously if there's issues. And um, if he comes in, then it's just going to seem like it was his decision and not theirs as a couple. And for the men, same thing on the other side. Let's say some of the problems are in your extended family. You have to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Don't make your wife be the hostage negotiator between you and your extended family. And don't walk in and say, you know, this would be like, my family loves you, so this this is easy for me. But... If I walked in, I was like, yeah, Grace is really struggling with you guys and Grace is having a lot of problems with you guys and Grace is really annoyed with you guys. So sorry, we're not going to be able to see you and you can't see the grandkids, you know, so pray for Grace. (laughs) (laughs) And that's sometimes what we do. We don't want to have the conflict with our family. And so instead, we, we use our spouse to have the conflict with our family instead of walking in and saying, I have decided or we have decided and I am in full agreement and going forward, you can't just show up at our house. You need to call. And if you want to get the holidays together, give us some advance notice so that we can figure out what our plans are. Uh, Don't just assume that every holiday, birthday and vacation, we're going to be together just because you have an emergency. You can't call me 24 hours, seven days a week. You're going to need to text and find a time that works. 
if you have run out of all your money, that doesn't mean that some of our money is also yours. Whatever the conversations need to be had mm-hmm. with the extended family. Hey, just because you lost your job doesn't mean you can live with us. <laughs> Whatever the conversation needs to be with the extended family is we have a family. And if you want to be in or near our family, you need to get the permission of the mother and father who are leading that family. And just because we have the same last name doesn't mean we're the same family. Mm-hmm. And this leads to a lot of dysfunction and brokenness. So to close with this, imagine the story of Ruth that she married Boaz and then she moved back to Moab with Boaz. And then they raised their kids in church and a cult um, with sexual purity and a bunch of pedophiles. And Boaz was trying to accommodate and work around her crazy family. Mm -hmm. The story would have not ended and they lived happily ever after. Right. We love you. We know this one is a little painful. But again, as you're reading the story of Ruth, and we've got a free study guide for you, devotional commentary, discussion questions for your date night, which people in your family are kind of like Orpah? They need to be left in the past. What people are like Naomi? You're with them in the present, but you got to help them work toward healing and getting better and getting healthier. Which relationships are you carrying extended family members, but you need to do what Naomi did with Ruth and bring them to church and get them connected to other believers and have a greater sphere of influence in their life? What are the uh, extended family members that are godly and helpful and wise? Because Boaz had some of those, and then they welcomed Ruth into the family, and she got some great new family members who were a great blessing to her. As you're looking at your complicated extended family, who goes into what categories and who needs to have what conversations so that you can have a great future and family? And for those of you who are older like we are, how are you treating your own children, especially the grown and married children? And are you expecting them to be part of your family or are you launching them to start their own family? We'll pick it up in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in.